Well, morning everyone. How's the church family doing? Great. We're so good to be together and Happy New Year. I, I know that you've probably already done this, but Happy New Year from me to you. Great to be together and uh, just good to be back in the saddle and ready to go. Hope you had a good Christmas break, time with family and friends. And uh, if you're visiting us this morning, you're really, really welcome. Great to have you here. Uh, it's been a great day already. I mean, I, I haven't been in the worship here, but I can just sense the presence of God in the room so tangibly. I already know one person who gave their life to Christ today, um, just as we were in the worship in the first service. Uh, someone who came to a, a meeting, one of our Christmas meetings, actually for the very first time, and then came for the second time this morning and gave their lives to Christ as we were worshiping. So that was... I was excited by that. That is a good day right there. So good to be together. And uh, we are going to be in a, a book of the Bible called Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. And uh, as you turn there, just a couple of highlights from my uh, Christmas. Number one was my grown-up children moved back home for three nights. And it was just like the best thing ever in the whole world. And we ate chicken wings and we watched Christmas movies and we stayed up late. And it was just like... Yes, thank you, Jesus. I asked them all if they wanted to move back home again. They said, no, I don't know what that says. But anyway, for three days, it was just like, yes, this is amazing. Uh, and then the second best present, aside from that, was I got an espresso coffee machine, which has transformed my life. Um, so I, I've nicknamed it Nessie. Um, and we've become very, very attached uh, since we were introduced to one another. And I've decided that life is too short to drink cheap coffee. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's do an appeal now, right? Are there any Nescafe drinkers still in the room? Right, come forward. We'd like to pray for you. There's healing in the room today for you. There's better coffee in your future. I prophesy that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. There's a lot of passion in this room for coffee. This is interesting. All right, so we are in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6. And we are going to be looking at a story in the life of Daniel. But before we get there, let me just set up a little bit of background and preface to the story of Daniel. And the story really starts on August the 25th, 587 BC. So that's more than two and a half thousand years ago when the Babylonian Empire invaded Judea and Israel and they ransacked Jerusalem. They burnt it to the ground. They destroyed the Jewish temple. They killed lots and lots of people and they basically left Israel for dead. And in that moment, what has become known, the great exile took place as many, many Jewish believers were taken out of the city of their birth and they were carried into exile into a foreign land, the land of Babylon. And this picture here just depicts the slow procession of people being driven out of their home city to go and live as exiles in another nation. And we know from the biblical account, uh, King Zedekiah, at the time, he tried to escape Jerusalem without being captured, but he was caught by the Babylonian Empire. Um, he was forced to watch his own children murdered in front of his eyes before his eyes were gouged out. Happy New Year. Um, but that's the story. And in this context, one of the young men that was carried into exile, out of Jerusalem and into Babylon, was a young man, a young 17-year-old man called Daniel. And Daniel was a young man of lots of promise, lots of potential, but suddenly he went 
from living in his homeland to being carried and now learning to live as an exile in Babylon. And although this story is two and a half thousand years old, it is just as relevant today as it always has been. Because guess what? You, like Daniel, if you're a Christian, are an exile living in Babylon. <laughs> Daniel suddenly was in a polytheistic culture, a sex-obsessed culture, a violent culture, a culture which opposed Yahweh, opposed the worship of God. They worshiped many gods. Suddenly he had to learn how to live his faith out in a culture that was anti-God. And you and I are living in that same environment right now because your citizenship is not of the earth, your citizenship is of heaven. You are born from above. Scripture says you, you should set your eyes on things above where Christ is seated in glory because actually you are now seated with Christ in glory. The, the way that 1 Peter 2 puts it is this. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Therefore, live as foreigners and exiles, abstaining from sinful desires. Live such good lives that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. We are Christians who are asking the question, how do we live fruitfully for Jesus in a culture which is anti-Jesus? You're not living in a neutral culture, friends. You're not just living in a post-Christian culture, you're living in an anti-Christian culture. You're living in a culture which opposes the worship of Jesus and will continually to do so in an increasing way. Don't be surprised when it gets more difficult to live out your faith in this nation in the future. Those days will come, but we've got stories like Daniel to give us hope, to give us strength, to give us direction, to give us guidance. We can live as the people of God, even though we are in exile in a foreign land. And so that's the backdrop to the story of Daniel. And when we get to Daniel chapter six, Daniel has already lived a number of years of his life and he has become increasingly a influential figure in Babylon, which then itself got, taken over by the Persians. <laughs> and so he has lived under uh, successive governments and rulers and under each of them, he has risen to the top as a man with wisdom and skill and integrity and he's been given authority and influence in the nation. But when we hit chapter six, Daniel hits another massive challenge in his life and it all centers around his prayer life. So that's where we're going this morning, people. We're looking at the challenge of prayer. So let's read together. Daniel 6 verse one. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Isn't that amazing? This little exile in Babylon, he was about to get top dog status. But then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Wouldn't it be great if your boss said that about you? He should say that about you. Faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. And so they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. 
And so the administrators and the officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And so King Darius signed the law. Let's learn some lessons about prayer in the life of Daniel. And the first lesson is this, is that prayer is the battleground of the Christian life. Prayer is the battleground. Daniel, as we've just read, was about to receive unprecedented influence across the whole of the Babylonian Empire. That's not just in one nation, that's in multiple nations that were part of the empire. And it's so telling that the only way that the enemy can subvert that plan is to attack his prayer life. And there's such a vital lesson for us to learn there that if the enemy can shut us down from praying, he can shut down our ability to influence the nation. Prayer is the key battleground. And if you were uh, trying to slow down your enemy, you would do what every army, army around the world has ever done. You would try and take out your enemy's key weapons. You, you would try and take out their biggest weapons that they have. And it's exactly the same with the enemy of our soul, Satan. He will try and rob and disarm us of the greatest weapons that God has given us for influence. And that influence comes through prayer. Uh, it was a number of years ago that the Lord spoke to me and he said, Phil, you need to understand that the enemy will always attack the weapons in your life that are designed for his own destruction. In other words, it's so often the enemy kind of overplays his hand and he actually reveals to us the will of God by the very things that he attacks in your life. Just think about the areas of challenge in your own life, the things that maybe have been a struggle the areas of fear, the areas of anxiety, the things that you had to really persevere on, those kind of key battleground areas of your life. Well, it would be just like God for those very things to be the things that he's designed to be a strength in your life, not a weakness. For those to be the things that he uses to bring great victories in the kingdom. I mean, just a small example. When I was a, a, a young boy at school, I was so shy and so timid. I, I would be the guy sitting at the back of class if the teacher asked me a question, I'd hide my face. I didn't want anyone to notice me. I was scared stiff of anyone hearing my voice because when I spoke, I'd go bright red. I wouldn't know what to say. I'd stammer through my words. I got bullied for it at school. And so I grew up believing this lie. I, I never want to be in the limelight and I never want to speak, particularly in front of crowds of people. That would be like my worst nightmare. And yet there's something in the economy of God where the very thing that the enemy was trying to undermine in my life is the very thing that he's gone on to use me in. <laughs> the enemy always attacks the weapons in your life that are designed for his destruction. <laughs> and the primest weapon that you have is the weapon of prayer. Jesus says in John 14, 14, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Woo what a powerful weapon. <laughs> Ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. I can't think of a more powerful weapon that you possess than that. Ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Of course the enemy wants to undermine prayer in our lives. And so I would suggest to you, friends, that the reason 
that so many of us struggle to cultivate a healthy prayer life is not just because you may be a little bit lazy sometimes, like me, or you may be a bit immature in your faith, like me, or you may make poor choices sometimes, like me, or that you don't get up when your alarm clock goes off, like me. All these things apply to me as well. It's not, you don't just struggle because of those reasons. Those things may be a struggle, but the reason that you struggle to pray is because you are in a struggle. You have an enemy who is intentionally resisting you in you being a person of prayer. He wants you to not get in your knees. He wants you to not spend time with Jesus. He wants you to not ask things in the name of Jesus. He actively is resisting you. And that's why Ephesians 6 says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And then at the end of that passage, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The reason that we struggle is because we are in a spiritual struggle. And that's why so many of us often like hitting the buffers thinking, why, why do I so struggle to have a consistent prayer life? Because you're in a struggle. Yes, we've all got things that we can grow in in our character. We can become more consistent. We can become less lazy. We can become more disciplined and self-control. These are all things that we can do, but it's more than that. The bigger context is you've got an enemy who wants to resist you praying. You're in a struggle. And Daniel found that he was in a battle and the epicenter of that battle was him having to contend for the place of prayer. And that's because ultimately prayer is not about rules or religion, it's about power and influence. And you cannot be prayerless without it having a consequence. You're a powerful person, you can choose whether to be prayerful this year or not, that's your choice. But you cannot be prayerless without it having a consequence. Because people that pray carry influence in the spirit realm. And those that don't pray don't. <laughs> You've got that kind of crazy example in Acts. I think it's Acts 19 where some of the priests hear that Jesus' disciples are able to cure people from demons and spiritual oppression. And uh, so they're like, we, you know, we hear about Paul and he's casting demons out in the name of Jesus. And so they find, find this demonized guy. that's called the seven sons of Sceva. They go and try and deliver this oppressed guy. And he sends them out bloody and beating. And he, what he says to them, he says, I know who Jesus is and I know who Paul is, but who the heck are you? They were using the right name. They were copying other people's methods and yet they carried no spiritual authority. Why? because they weren't people of prayer with Jesus in the secret place. Prayer is where the influence really is. And the enemy understands that sometimes more than we do. Someone once said this, that service is gathering up the results, but prayer is striking the winning blow. Sometimes we ignore the weapon of prayer and then we wonder why we're losing. Prayer is a weapon and it's the battleground of our faith. Remember, a number of years ago, uh, Simon and I chatting to a guy called Paul McConaughey, and uh, he was telling us about his experience in Sheffield when he was a pastor there, and there was a season of two years in Sheffield where they had over 800 responses to the gospel, 
and it was like the most remarkable thing probably happening in the nation at the time and he was telling us just one story about how they were trying to get some influence into the postcode gangs of Sheffield in the, in the inner city of Sheffield. And he said, we tried to start group after group in these areas, but they would shrivel up. They, would, they wouldn't bear any fruit. It was difficult. We were just banging our heads against a brick wall. And then he said, one day, two Nigerian ladies came to him and said, have you assigned any prayer cover to this particular group? He scratched his head and he thought, no, but that's a really good idea. And he, he said, basically, these two ladies taught him about the power of prayer and intercession. And so what they began to do is they began to assign some prayer intercession warriors to these particular groups that were in these very difficult parts of Sheffield. And I think within a few months, they started to see breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Why? Because prayer is the place of influence. You cannot be prayerless without it having consequence. And you cannot be prayerful without it also having a consequence. So this is the first lesson that we learn. Prayer is the battleground. Secondly, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down. <laughs> I love this. Daniel's like, right, so I'm not allowed to pray. I better go home and pray about that. <laughs> I love that. That's just like his first impulse. He's like, wow, it's getting difficult around here. I better go and pray. It's like his first instinct. You know, and uh, one of the things I love about being married to my wife, there's many reasons I love being married to my wife, but one of them is that her first instinct is always to pray. I mean, that is just always where she goes. You know, sometimes my first instinct is to worry out loud or to complain or grumble, but hers is always to pray. You know, I just, silly example. Uh, I remember when my laptop died, and anyone hates it when that happens. You know, it never happens at a convenient moment. And I remember like, like turning on, powering up, nothing, like just trying everything. And, um, and so I'm sitting there kind of starting to grumble a little bit. I'm like, oh no, this is real, I need my stuff. And then Carol's just sitting in the corner kind of minding her own business. And then she says, why don't you just pray about it? <laughs> I was like, no, oh, all right then. <laughs> and so you're like, Jesus, please bring this back, laptop back to life. And it literally came alight the instant I finished my prayer. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, make me more like my wife. <laughs> but Daniel, this is his first impulse. Gosh, you know, I'm not, I'm not allowed to pray. I might get chucked to the lines. I better go to God about this. I better go to him because he's the only one that can intervene on my behalf. So he gets on his knees before God. And ultimately for Daniel, this is his act of spiritual resistance and rebellion. So you can live in a godless culture like we do where there's increasing perhaps restrictions or pressure on not living out our faith in the public environment. But I tell you what one thing the culture cannot ever strip away from you and I, and it's this, your ability to get before God and obtain promises in the secret place and move heaven to earth through your prayers. No government can control that in your life. You have access to a father who owns everything. <laughs> and so our first instinct, our first act of spiritual resistance when things are difficult is to get on our knees, to get before God. This is the Jesus way. You know, and I just wanna challenge you to be a true Christian rebel this year. What that looks like is being a man or woman of prayer. I mean, it would just sometimes just, you know, you wanna just throw your toys out the pram and just do something radical. I do. Well, here's a radical thing you could do. Build a prayer life in secret where the only person that sees is Jesus. Wow, 
That is a radical act of spiritual resistance when you're in exile living in Babylon. You seek God, you get on your knees and say, Father, you're the only one that can solve these issues. Father, I come to you. Thank you that all of heaven and earth, you have authority over it all. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. I'd love to see some spiritual rebels in this room this year. You know, I was chatting to a, to a friend in the week about something completely different and um, just said, oh, what are you doing the rest of the week? And they said, oh, well, on Wednesday night, we're gathering our, our, our family and our, our friends to pray, to, buy, to do a Bible study. You know, our family is scattered in all sorts of different towns and nations, but we've been gathering, I think, two or three years just to, just to pray together and to read the Bible. We've done it every Wednesday for three years. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, what are you doing at the weekend? Well, we're gathering our family on Zoom uh, from all around the world to study the Bible and to pray because we're doing like two weeks to kind of pray for the year ahead. I was like, wow. <laughs> I came away from that conversation of, Jesus, help me. <laughs> but I tell you what, there was something about that I thought, those are the sorts of people that God will entrust great riches to because they are prioritizing prayer as an act of spiritual resistance in a godless age. They're the kind of people that will move heaven to earth because they're prioritizing prayer. Daniel got on his knees. As soon as there was pressure on him not to pray, he's like, I better pray. Thirdly, we read this. He got on his knees as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to his God. Now, I don't want to labor this point too much, but I want us just to notice that prayer was hardwired into Daniel's life. And this particular day was a bad day for him because if he prayed, he was gonna get thrown to lions. Okay, that's a bad day. That's a day full of pressure and it's a day full of challenge and a day full of obstacle. But guess what? He prayed just the same as he did on all the other days when everything was going swimmingly. Three times a day, he knelt towards Jerusalem. He gave thanks to God just as he always did. This day was no different to any other day because prayer was hardwired into his life. In other words, prayer wasn't just the emergency ripcord, it was living water for Daniel. And I think there's a mindset change that God wants us to have as the people of God that we don't just come to prayer as the last resort, emergency ripcord, when things are difficult and we know we need Jesus. How about we drank living water every single day and we built a rhythm and a metronome of prayer in our life that we steer the course of everything else by? How about we did that like Daniel did? Build a rhythm of prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room in secret where nobody else sees and pray to your father and your father who sees what's prayed in secret will reward you. Jesus' expectation is that you and I will have a secret prayer life that nobody else knows about and it becomes the metronome that you set the whole of the rest of your life by. And at the start of this new year, I wanna suggest to you humbly that there is no greater New Year's resolution than you can make than this. Sort out the rhythm of prayer in your life. Don't just view prayer as the emergency ripcord. You know, I drink water every day, whether it's a drought or whether it's luzzing it down outside. Why? Because water is life. Friends, prayer is life. It's life to your soul. 
It's life to your mind. It's life to your body. It's life to your family. It's life to your work. It's life to your friendships. It's life to your past, your present, and future. Prayer is life because it's being with Jesus. Daniel had a rhythm that he steered the course of his life by. And, you know, friends, you've got to change it up in every different season of life, what that looks like. When I was a student and I thought I was really busy with six lectures a week, <laughs> I, would, I would go and pray in a field of cows. Like, and I could do it any time of day I wanted because I was just a man of leisure with just six lessons a week. And uh, the, the cows were my prayer partners. You know, I remember when I had small kids that you had to change. You know, you can't do that anymore. You can't go and pray with the cows. You've got small children to look after. <laughs> You know, when I was commuting to work, suddenly the pressures are different. So suddenly the car became a place of communion with God. You've got to change the rhythm in every season of your life. But whatever you do, make sure that you steer your life by the rhythm of prayer. And then lastly, and then we're going to pray. Prayer gives you opportunities to overcome lions. <laughs> We read this, the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. And the result of that discovery was Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. Now, lions are not pacifists. It's definitely a dangerous place to be. But what I want to suggest to you is that it wasn't just Daniel's enemies that found him in prayer. It was also God that found him in the place of prayer. And what happens when God finds you in the place of prayer is that he will put divinely placed giants in your path that you have been equipped to overcome because of what you've received in the place of prayer. When you come out of your prayer closet, don't expect everything to be unswimmingly and rosy. Sometimes when you step out of your prayer closet, you will encounter massive giants in your life. But the reason that they're there is that they're divinely placed by God because you're equipped to overcome them. God entrusts the future to people that are secret prayers. And if you are a secret prayer, God will entrust you with giants and lions and difficulties and challenges and obstacles. He will entrust them to you that you would overcome them because you've been transformed in the place of prayer first. God makes giant slayers in the secret place before the public place. And so friends, don't be surprised if there are a few divinely appointed giants in your path, they're put there by God to bring great glory to him. We could say much more, but we're gonna park the bus right there. Friends, this year, I just wanna encourage us to set our hearts on being a people of prayer, to becoming a house of prayer. Um, and I, wanna, I just wanna say this delicately, but I've been in numbers of churches through the years. And I have been in some churches that have been powerful houses of prayer, where prayer has been front and center. I wanna say as part of this church community, my longing is that we become that kind of house of prayer. I think we aspire to it at the moment. I'm not sure we yet are it. But this year, there's a beautiful, beautiful invitation from God together to become a house of prayer for the nations and that we see God move in our generation. Amen. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to hand over to you guys.